Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Vomar. Songcraft brings you conversations with and about the men and women who've put pen to paper, hands to keyboards, and fingers to strings to create lyrics and music that stand the test of time. You probably know the names, and you definitely know the songs. We bring you the stories. Keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, or our website by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. While Songcraft is always free, if you believe in our mission of preserving and presenting these important conversations, we invite you to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. There you can help support us with a voluntary monthly pledge that will also give you access to bonus content and other extras as our way of saying thanks for your continued support. You're listening to I Took a Pill in Ibiza, a multi-platinum hit single written and recorded by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Mike Posner. The Song of the Year Grammy nominee joins us later in the show to talk about his own successful artist career, as well as his role as a writer of hit singles such as Boyfriend for Justin Bieber, Sugar for Maroon 5, and others. But first, a little housekeeping. Part one. So uh, I refer to what we're doing this time as housekeeping because it's not our usual let's sit and, and play a goofy game with one another for a few minutes because we, we've got a lot to get to today. Right. So the listeners will thank us for not yeah. having to listen to our general shenanigans. No, no goofy games today. <laughs> Although I do have to say the last episode we were joking around about uh, band uh, mashup names, putting yeah. together two bands when you combine them would actually be a terrible listening experience. Yeah. And and we invited uh, listeners. We said, hey, if you guys got any ideas, send us some. So. I actually uh, got a message this week from uh, from Bob Hunt, known on Twitter as at Mr. Bobby Hunt. He sent us a Twitter message. And this guy actually, in the past, has contacted us. He's the one that encouraged us to do our top five favorite uh, live albums, well, which we did. Go, Bob. Yeah, yeah. that's a good so, suggestion. So very cool. So Bob submitted a few of his own. And all of these are mashups of like country artists and non-country artists yeah. and yeah they're, <laughs> they're they're uh they're these are they're, he's got some good ones so i'm going to read you four of yeah. uh of bob hunt's suggestions doug stone temple pilots <laughs> uh little Jimi hendrix which i oh, assume God, is yeah. little Jimmy little dickens, dickens and, yeah. and jimmy <laughs> hendrix which is <laughs> which is good that's pretty good uh oak ridge boys to men oh god <laughs> and my favorite uh, mini Pearl Jam. <laughs> so, hey, uh, that's pretty good, Bob. So thank you, Bob Hunt. And uh, wow, stepping now, the game up. Yeah. So uh, if if uh, Paul gets angry and quits the show, uh, Bob, I might be giving you a call. <laughs> so um, the other uh, thing that we need to, to do today is uh, two episodes ago, we had our big 100th episode and yep. we um, talked to Lamont Dozier and Lamont was kind enough to, to donate an autographed CD, his album Reimagination, uh, which is a fantastic album. Uh, he signed a copy for one of our guests. We made that into a contest that was uh, only our Patreon uh, subscribers could participate in. And um, so, Paul. Yes. Uh, I've got these colored pencils right here. These are. Uh, oh, we are playing a goofy game. <laughs> yeah. So these are colored pencils that my my wife uh, has here in the uh, in the office uh, of my house, which doubles, of course, as Songcraft World headquarters. Yeah. And um, there's only 16 of them here because oh. we only open this up to our Patreon subscribers, okay. which is an elite group of people who help support what we do at patreon.com backslash Songcraft Show. And you too can be a Patreon subscriber. But right now, these 16 pencils represent the 16 entries yeah. uh, to the contest. I'm going to ask you to just pick one. And I've got a little uh, key here. 
Just let everybody know uh, it's green. Yes, that would be hunter green, not to be confused with the regular green over okay. here. And let's yeah. see. So that would be uh, the hunter green pencil is Phil and Pam Morgan. Wow. So congratulations Phil to and Pam. Phil and Pam Morgan, who are generous supporters of ours on uh, on Patreon. So if you'd like to win something in the future, um, go check out patreon.com slash songcraft show and find out how you can uh, get in on the fun. Yep. And, and our final bit of housekeeping, you know, as we talk about our loyal listeners and, you know, they bring us ideas and they win CDs through colored pencils and things like that. <laughs> Um, a sentence that's never been said before. Yeah, totally. When we when we look at kind of the analytics at where where people listen from, it's all over the world. I mean, we've seen people from from the Middle East and from Europe. Yeah. And um, one of the things that when we talked about our friends at Pearl Snap Studios, yeah, uh, who from time to time will sponsor episodes of Songcraft. One thing we haven't talked about is the fact that it you don't have to live in Nashville. Yeah. You don't have to live in Los Angeles. You don't have to live in New York to get your music into a studio and have it recorded in a quality manner that you can actually have that thing pitched. You can send this stuff remotely yeah. to a place like Pearl Snap Studios and you guys can do all the discussions over email and figure out how to do this. So, uh, you know, which I think is pretty cool. It's it's one of the things about modern society that's not lame, Yep. Uh, which is <laughs> the, the fact that we've sort of equalized the world and, and you can be from anywhere. I mean, you can live in the Philippines and be uh, seen on YouTube and end up singing for Journey. Right. So, um, and you True can story. also, yeah, you can write a hit song in the Netherlands right. and um, yeah. send it over to Justin at Pearl Snap Studios and have yourself a, a demo that's going to go out and crush it. Yeah. So if you're a person who's got great ideas, but let's say maybe you're not Mike Posner and right. uh, you don't have the tools to, to bring those things to life in your own uh, setting, then you need a guy like Justin. So whether it's country, rock, folk, whatever it is, Zydeco. <laughs> Zydeco, I'm sure he could handle it. Yeah. Um, any type of music that you're writing, if you want to really get a great quality demo, definitely check out PearlSnapStudios.com and uh, tell our friend Justin over there that we sent you and uh, they do really great work. That was all our housekeeping. I think this is now a house kept. I think the house is well kept and uh, it's time for the big show. Part two. Singer, songwriter, record producer, and poet Mike Posner emerged from the Detroit music scene to build a grassroots following by releasing mixtapes during his college years. After signing with Clive Davis's J Records, he broke through to national prominence with a double platinum selling top 10 single, Cooler Than Me. Subsequent hits as a solo artist include the platinum selling singles Please Don't Go and Bow Chicka Wow Wow, which featured Lil Wayne. Posner is perhaps best known for the worldwide hit I Took a Pill in Ibiza, which has been streamed more than 2 billion times and was the second most streamed song of 2016. I Took a Pill in Ibiza earned Mike a Grammy nomination for Song of the Year and turbocharged his reputation as an in-demand songwriter and collaborator. In addition to his own artist output, Posner is a behind-the-scenes songwriter of Beneath Your Beautiful, a number one UK hit by Labyrinth, Boyfriend, a multi-platinum single for Justin Bieber, and Sugar, another multi-platinum chart-topping hit for Maroon 5. Other artists who've released songs by Posner include Big Sean, Talib Kweli, Pharrell Williams, 2 Chains, Wiz Khalifa, Nelly, T.I., Snoop Dogg, Avicii, Iggy Azalea, Nick Jonas, Cher Lloyd, and more. Beyond his solo work and his songwriting and production collaborations with other artists, Posner is also one half of the alternative hip-hop duo Mansions. He has released a book of poetry, Teardrops and Balloons, as well as a poetic spoken word album called I Was Born in Detroit on a Very, 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 Very Cold Day.
Mike's most recent single is Song About You, which is a prelude to his forthcoming studio album, which will be released in January on Island Records. Mike, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you for having me. So, um... We were talking about Lamont Dozier a minute ago before we started recording, and uh, and he, of course, is a fellow Detroit guy like yourself. And, you know, Detroit is one of those cities that has such a rich musical legacy, you know, whether you're talking about the the Motown stuff or, or Bob Seger or Eminem, you know, there's been this this rich history, MC5, you know, there's there's all this stuff that's that's come out of that area. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective having grown up there and what kind of musical influences you were kind of soaking up as a kid just by virtue of of you know being from that city motown music is ubiquitous there Hmm. everyone listens to it everyone's parents listen to it white black whatever everyone listens to that so that's sort of a a um a given Mm-hmm. Like if you were if we were in Detroit and you asked me that I wouldn't even have to say that <laughs> yeah, right. just, you know, um, so yeah I, f- I mean I feel like there's like you just said there's it's a really strong lineage that now I'm a part of and um, you know you just you just try to do incredible work and yeah and mm-hmm. keep that lineage strong sure and there are you know there's already like a little group of kids like 10 years younger than you know i sort of feel like me and big sean we're mm-hmm. like we're our generation right you know from the city mayor hawthorne you know, sure. around it's time we came out but there's already a new crop of kids right you know, right that go we i listened to you when i was in middle school <laughs> I'm like i'm only 30 but you know? <laughs> right 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 uh, you know i want to ask you you eventually went on to attend duke university um I was one of those kids that I remember I had a teacher once and I told her I wanted to go into music and she said, Oh no, no, no. Do something where you can use your mind. (laughs) And I was like, what? You know, sometimes the rock star dream is not something that our teachers always get behind and think, you know, this is going to be something we're after. When you go to a school like Duke and you tell a professor, maybe, no, this is what I'm after. I want to go into music. Did you feel supported? Did you feel like your educators were behind what you were doing? Hmm. Well, a couple of things. One, your teacher is kind of right because <laughs> I I feel like personally a lot of creating music is about your heart hmm. and actually trying to turn your mind off. So I don't think she's that far off in some respect. And obviously, like, you know, there's a business aspect to this. You know, you're really an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and, you know, I have employees and this kind of thing. Right. So you, you use your mind to do that stuff. But you're writing i think yeah you're really trying to not use your mind you're trying to skip the mind just go straight from the heart correct correct um as far as my professors um you know none of them understood you know like the scene you know like the way music was being listened to at that time um you know with with the internet you know the way it changed everything democratized everything um so it's not like I was presenting them with like a my plan, right? You know, mm. I never asked their permission. <laughs> but when th- I will say, when things started to take off for me, um, 
most of them were very uh, supportive because I started to miss a lot of class mm. because I was getting a lot of gigs or, or in different cities right. a- across the states. And so I'd leave, you know, I'd leave and play and, um, you know, I'd ask my classmates to share their notes yeah. for, for with what I missed. And um, a lot of the teachers were, were pretty cool about that. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you mentioned Big Sean before, and you guys were hometown friends. Um, love to know about kind of how that relationship came to be and then how it was a, a pivotal part of your early career. Yeah, so I, you know, I um, finished my senior year of high school hmm. in Michigan, and and I'd been accepted to Duke. So I, you know, I had a few months of summer, and my mom said, y- you got to get a job, man. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I started looking online for something to do with music, you know, and uh, I found and I applied for this internship at uh, Urban Radio Station in Detroit, and there was like a line out around the block, you know, when I got there, people interviewing, but um, somehow I got this job. I don't know why they selected me, but I got the job, and... Um, one of my coworkers, you know, we do stuff like fold T-shirts, prize shirts, and get people coffee, this kind of yeah. thing. One of my coworkers, another intern, was was Sean's best friend, and he rapped too. His name is Pat Piff, and um, I started doing beats for Pat, and um, he introduced me to Sean, mm. and. Um, I remember the first time I met him, we were at a movie theater in Southfield, Michigan. And he just like, he looked like he was already rich, man. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't yet. But, you, know, you know, he had like all cool, really cool clothes on. And he was with a really, really pretty girl. <laughs> and uh, this is how we met. And then eventually I started doing beats for him. And they jumped me out. They had a crew called mm-hmm. Finally Famous. And they jumped me in. <laughs> just like ceremony where everyone puts all this money on the ground and you're on one side of the money and the group is on the other and you have to jump over the money to be with your brothers. Yeah, it's a, it's a metaphor wow. for like family before money. Right. I love and, it. Um, so I became a part of that crew. And then, you know, he got a record deal. He was signed by Kanye West. Mm. And when that happened, it changed my life. And... The reason it changed my life was because before Sean got that record deal, doing what I do now just seemed like impossible. Yeah. Mm. So when he got his record deal, immediately my mind switched. I go, oh, I'm going to get one too. Mm. <laughs> no, of course. That's the next thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Wow. And it changed everything. Well, you recorded a, a couple of mixtapes early on, Reflections of a Lost Teen and A Matter of Time. And... and those started getting you industry attention. Um, but what's kind of interesting from, from my understanding is that you actually released those through iTunes U, which is like a, an educational format, um, rather than necessarily what one would think of as the traditional, you know, music industry kind of route. Talk a little bit about that. Why, why go that way? I really like the beginning of my career. Like when anyone actually like started to care about my music, um, was yeah this this first mixtape a matter of time and you know like a there was a big mixtape scene at the time right which was you know mostly i mean almost in t- exclusively 
rappers would make was basically a free album. Um, you put it, you wouldn't try to charge for it. That's right. what a mixtape was. And a lot of it was your spin on someone else's song. Mm-hmm. So you'd take someone else's beat, take their vocals off, and then put your own vocals on. Right. And like, you know, if you could do their beat better than them, that was like, really, that's good. Right. Um, so my first mixtape had uh, six original songs and mm. then it had four remixes yeah and i would i actually would redo their music as well right and i would try to do some flip on their lyrics you know like i did um halo by beyonce (laughs) which her song was a love song you know basically saying her partner has a halo and mine was like a breakup song like (laughs) like take off your halo it doesn't even glow no more it's like not fooling me (laughs) right so you know there were four of those sort of remixes yeah and um yeah i was in this weird spot because i really like was a like sort of a hip-hop singer Mm. i grew up listening to hip-hop i rapped since i was eight all the way to like 20 Mm. which is the age i was when i made this and then i had this weird idea to start basically singing my raps and um i wanted to sing the way as a hip hop fan, I wanted to hear singers sing, mm, huh. and so that involved like having more complex rhymes. So even in my, you know, one of the songs on mixtape was a song called "Cooler Than Me," and it's like a complex rhyme. It goes, "You got designer shades just to hide your face," you know, multisyllabic. Right. Mm-hmm. Designer rhymes with yeah. hide your, right. As well as shades and face, right? right, right. Not just the last word, but like multiple syllables. Right. Which was rhymes. always like, that was just like par for the course, yeah. you know, in the hip hop. But I never heard people sing like that. Huh. So I just started screwing around with that. And I finished this project. And at the time, if you were to make a mixtape, most rappers, you'd release it online. Mm-hmm. And there were like a series of kind of weird websites that one probably most notably was one called datpiff.com and you would go on there and then there'd be a z share link right and z share had all these like weird ads and it was confusing to navigate and (laughs) this was how every mixtape was downloaded like navigating this like clusterfuck of of, like shady kind of websites right and um so Look, I knew I had this moment, you know, at Duke because I didn't go out a lot, but my friends would go out because, you know, that's when it was quiet. So I could do vocals Mm -hmm. when everyone went out to the bar. I had a sweet spot of like 11 p.m. to 2.30. (laughs) But my friends, when they came back and I had released this song cooler than me before the mixtape and they said, look, they played that song at the party and everyone knew the words. And that never happened before in my wow. whole life. You know, yeah. By this time, I've been making music 12 years. Sure. That never happened. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's funny. Like, these sort of, like, females at Duke know the words to this song. <laughs> right. right. It's, it's outside of, they're not going to Dat Piff right. with yeah. those girls. Yeah. Right. So I thought, okay, I'm going to release this mixtape. I'll put it on Dat Piff for all, all those places. 
which was cool. It was cool they put it up there because I was singing, you yeah. know, and it was like a hip hop thing. And then I thought, I had heard of a few bands putting their music on iTunes U. Yeah. Mm iTunes U. Now you gotta you gotta know the context historically this was like the height of pirating. Right. Mm-hmm. Before iTunes had really taken hold. So we we were stealing everything. I remember like pirating Kanye's album when you get it a week early. Right. And I knew like, hey look, if I'm if I'm pirating Kanye's album, mm-hmm. no one's gonna buy mine. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Because they don't right, know right. who I am. So, I I had heard this iTunes U kind of scheme. Um, iTunes U was set up for professors right. to put their lectures up. You know, like what if I want to hear a lecture yeah. from a professor at a different school? Right. right. You could you could get it on iTunes U for free. So I found out who ran iTunes U at Duke, and there's this guy Todd Stabley who's awesome. I talked to him or messaged him few days ago and he was from southfield michigan exactly yeah. where i'm from yeah so i like s- pitched him and he was like yeah i'll put your album on there that's, <laughs> awesome. that's no problem and i think he had put a few albums up and and, and like you know i was a student there so it kind of like made sense and then so basically i got my album on itunes but it was free yeah so um this opened up a whole nother world of listeners it's kind of genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of genius. Um, but by the way, this people always ask like, you know, about these kind of stories, like new artists or young artists will yeah. ask. And no, none of that scheming makes a difference hmm. if your music's not good. Right. Well, I was right. just having the same thought. Like you can you can invite everybody, but yeah. if the party sucks, people are going to go home. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And for me, look, that took 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it took like I made that other reflection of a lost team for it was good, you know, it's right. cool, but yeah, <laughs> right. It, it, I was getting better, right? You know? yeah. Well, the intention you were getting eventually led to a deal with J Records, and my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline, but that happened while you were still in school, and then you finished school instead of just leaving to chase, you know, the dream, right? I mean, you went ahead and finished your your degree. Yeah, I got, you know, like the end of my. So I put this mixtape out in March of my junior year. And by the end of my junior year, like, it was kind of crazy. Um, record labels were offering me thing. I was flying to New York and back. Jay-Z flew me to New York. Jeez. Had a two-hour meeting with Jay-Z. Wow. Um, That's worth skipping class for. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, like, it was just sort of sort of wild. And uh, I I ended up deciding to go with, j records that summer signed the deal and i was sort of ready to quit school but my mom like freaked out (laughs) (laughs) and i understand why she freaked out because this is a woman who you know my grandfather god bless him rest in peace but was sort of like you know you're a woman you don't need to go to college and um wouldn't even like send in his tax information so she could get financial aid. Wow. You know, you just, you don't need to go. There's no point. And so she, this is a woman who worked, you know, two full-time jobs, you know, with skipping meals, not sleeping to get through college and pharmacy school, you know, mm-hmm. open her own pharmacy. So 
um, for me to be like three years done and yeah. then be like, eh, don't need it. It's right. like I un I understand now why she right. reacted the way she did. Yeah, and I basically finished school out of fear <laughs> of her because she was like, this is gonna be a big problem for me if you don't finish you know well so you continued to to do the mixtape thing um one foot out the door um is, is the next one that, that came out but then your your debut album 31 came out in in 2010 so now we're moving from sort of the 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 mixtape the building the momentum establishing yourself to official record and and you all already mentioned cooler than me but this is the point where Cooler Than Me goes from being a song that all the girls on Duke's campus know uh, and kids at other schools to now suddenly this is like a national, huge, you know, billboard singer. If I could write you a song to make you fall in love, I would already have you up under my arm. I used to follow my tricks. I hope that you like this, but you probably won't. You think you're cooler than me. You got this talk a little bit about you know you, you were talking about the the transitioning from you know being a student kind of in your room making these recordings to suddenly people are singing the words to your songs but this is like the next the next level how do you kind of process that as, as an artist in terms of receiving that those kind of accolades and that kind of recognition suddenly for the work that you've been kind of sowing the seeds of for all these years i thought it was awesome at the time <laughs> you know i still yeah i still think it's awesome right know? every i mean you know you make music to make music yeah like alan watts says you don't dance to get to a certain spot on the floor <laughs> you dance to dance yeah you know and that's you write music to write music. The rewards in the writing yeah. for me. Yeah. So every once in a while, you know, I've probably written thousands and thousands of songs at this point, but I've had like five or six that have become these like big hits. Yeah. And when that happens, I'm just like, <laughs> it's just pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's often kind of like right. random. It's right. Like, oh, yeah. that one. Right. Yeah. Right. Whoa. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think. I think. Here I we think go. One of the things that people maybe don't realize is that, like, for every song that they know, whoever wrote that song is has probably got five hundred other ones that that you know people have never heard. It's such a small percentage, you know. And even people who are hit songwriters, there's this perception of like. Oh, they're a hit writer, so whatever they write is just a no. hit. And it's like, no, it's it's, you know, hundreds of these things for that one to rise to the surface. Yeah. And they're not all look, you know, if we did a pie chart, it's like, you know, some percentage of the songs I write, I don't even I don't like at all. Hmm. And I don't think they should ever be heard by anyone. And then there's like, yeah, there's there's a bunch of music I've made that hasn't become hits, I think is every bit as good yeah as mm -hmm. my hits right know? well you know after the initial success of that huge hit you know jay records was disbanded and you released another mixtape called the layover and there were some notable singles there you know the way it used to be in top of the world which was used uh, in a reebok campaign
there were plans for an upcoming album that kind of got pushed back and then ultimately canceled. I sometimes refer to the music business as the momentum business. Um, because in a lot of ways, you know, labels want to sign someone that has momentum and they want to sort of jump on rather than create momentum. So I, some, I always feel like riding a wave is everything. You had a wave and there was a moment when it might have felt like the wave was stopping. You know, I see the record label disbanding and plans for the album. Did you feel like that was cutting into your momentum and did it worry you as far as what the next steps were going to be? No, there were, well, first off, it wasn't a moment. It was like three, four years of my life. <laughs> right. right. You know, and the wave did, the momentum stopped. Like the wave crashed. Yeah. Mm. You know, I went from when cool the me came out you know i'm like parading around the world i'm taking my shirt off at shows <laughs> the whole thing and like flash cut a year two years later like my schedule and calendar are empty wow, wow. you know and there's like nothing to do i'm i'm what we call shelved you know mm, on yeah. the record label and my momentum was just like so gone that the label had no plans to release any music by and me. Did you it think that? Did you think this is it? I'm done. They just, you know, they couldn't. I'm gonna answer your question. They couldn't justify. I just don't want to like vilify them. Like they sure. couldn't justify spending the marketing money, right? You know, because it costs money. Like promote these things with no kind of evidence they're gonna get a return right. on their investment because you know everything I was putting out is kind of like selling progressively less and less and less. Yeah. So that's how they looked at the situation. It's a logical way to look at this situation. Um, I had a moment, you know, I had a moment where I'm sitting like, you know, I never like lived like it. I didn't buy like a bunch of Lamborghinis or anything. So <laughs> I had like, I had like $2 million and it seemed like my career was over mm. and there was nothing to do. Mm. So I thought, what? What do I want to do? At that point, I realized I still like making music. Huh. Like that hasn't changed. Yeah. Right. You know, the the way it's being received and all this stuff has changed, you know, a few times now. But why don't I, I, I still like it. And, you know, I, why don't I just spend this free time getting better at it? Mm. Huh. So I started taking piano lessons and guitar lessons, you know, and singing lessons. And it's becoming better. And um, and that's just sort of had this like weird belief like it was all gonna work out. Huh. Yeah. I believe in the law of attraction, like mm -hmm. what you think about you get. Yeah. So I just started like basically brainwashing myself. Huh. Like this is like I'm gonna. I remember like writing it down each day. I would like visualize it and um, just like repeat it. Sometimes I write the same sentence like over and over again just brainwash myself and i would i would i would visualize like being on the jimmy fallon show ripping it i visualize right. like winning the grammy for song of the year album of the year and i didn't have like the right man i didn't have a manager i was like going through managers i visualized like having the right manager and then yeah. like having the right label like getting off my label on another one and then like slowly it took years man but all that stuff started to happen mm. all of it happened i got the right manager um uh i went on the jimmy fallon show and killed it mm. i got nominated for song of the year grammy the only thing that didn't happen was i didn't win that grammy <laughs> <laughs> but there's still time <laughs> oh yeah i definitely think i will yeah 
Well, this is kind of the point in your career where we see your behind the scenes writing efforts really like take off in a big way. You had a a number one hit in the UK with um, Beneath Your Beautiful by Labyrinth. See beneath your beautiful with the let me see beneath your perfect take it off now girl take it off now girl Cause I wanna see inside what you let me see beneath your beautiful tonight I was still at J Records and my AR who now runs J Records, Peter Edge, or he runs RCA. Um was that like, you gotta work with this guy Labyrinth? And he played me a song by Tiny Tempa called Pass Out that Labyrinth produced. And I was like, Yeah, that's a hot beat, but I was like, you know, it's a lot of people make hot beats, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the States and you know, I make hot beats too, you know. It's like I don't know if I need to go all the way to London. I'd never been to London before. Right. I don't know if I need to go all the way there to get a hot beat. He was like, Trust me, you gotta go. Finally I was like, All right, whatever. I'll go to London. So I get, I fly there, you know, I'm like jet lag. I go to this like studio. It's kind of, it's in this place called, I shouldn't say where it is. I think he still works there sometimes. (laughs) And uh, it's not like a super nice place, by the way. And it's in like this huge building where there's like different, you know. And so like I finally like get in, walk in the room and here's this, this like kid at, you know, on this laptop. And he's like, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, who are you? I'm like, Mike. <laughs> you know, like, I flew all the way to London. But he's like, the only thing on his mind is, like, the beat in yeah, front of him. Right, And, like, right. the only thing on his mind yesterday was, like, the beat in front of him. <laughs> right. You know? And nothing, like, we didn't make anything special. But, like, I just, like, basically like, fell in love with this this guy, you know? Right. Like, in a in like a non-sexual way i'm like feel like musically like married to this guy yeah, right it's like well i would go back like every year or two to work with them and we and we just fucking go hard you know what i mean like we'd get there at like <laughs> we just work all night you know what i mean right. it's, like, it's just like the intensity is like so high yeah you know and so one of these like marathon sessions i know we're gonna go all night so i just bring my i have a flight to leave and i like i just bring my suitcase to the <laughs> studio because right. i know i'm not gonna have time to go back to a hotel you know and we come with this idea for beneath your beautiful and we both have our laptops up we're both making the track and you know it's like i have 11 a.m. flight it's like you know six in the morning seven in the morning right. eight in the morning i'm like look i gotta leave but i think this song's amazing i need you to record at least a demo of it because i know if we just have the track and the idea it's it's lost forever right, you right. know i walk out the door songs or yeah. so i need you to record a demo vocal of this just to put the idea down we can finish it later so he's like, okay. So I, I, you know, pull up a chair, and I'm on his laptop now. He sets up a mic next to me, standing right next to me. Both got headphones on, and I hit record, and he just sang "Beneath Your Beautiful" in one take, hmm. and that was the take. Wow. wow. So that was kind of your your uh, 
behind the scenes giant hit as a songwriter in the UK and then your behind the scenes giant hit as a songwriter in the US your your, your first one um came with Justin Bieber's boyfriend I mean that's a song that went multi platinum hit number 2 on Billboard's Hot 100 you know massive massive kind of pop success if i was your boyfriend never let you go So tell us a little bit about how how that came together. I remember when Cooler Than Me was a big song. I remember thinking, well, how did this happen? Because I don't know how to sing. I, I'm a rapper, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm a rapper. I'm just, like, screwing around singing, but I'm not a singer. So it can't be my voice because I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, It's got to be the song. Hmm. And that's when I that's when I even realized there was like a that separate from being an artist, there were people that were just songwriters, yeah, which right. is what you guys talk about yeah, here. Yeah. But I didn't re- even realize that, and I went, "Oh, I guess I'm like really good at that," <laughs> you know. Right. And so I remember like calling a manager, and I was like, "You know what? I think I should write songs for other people too." Mm. And he said, you know, look, that's just like a really hard game to get into. It's like kind of can be like throwing wet spaghetti at the wall, <laughs> you know, which he was he's right. You know, it can be like that. Yeah. But I remember at the time being like, nah, not for me. <laughs> you know, I still have this like weird thing. I feel like it, things are always going to work out for me. Yeah. So then, like, you know, a week after this conversation, I'm at a Clippers game, and I hear, yo, Mike. I look back, it's Scooter Braun. I haven't seen him in, like, six years. By this time, he's managing Justin Bieber, biggest star in the world. I said to him, you should let me write for Justin. I'll knock it out of the park. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I said to him. He said, come over, you know, sometimes next week. Show me what you got. Meanwhile, I'm working, like, every day with Black Bear and our other friend, MDL, this great producer. The three of us. We work every day. And uh, we do a song a day. Mm. Well, I used to do a song a day. When yeah. I was on tour, I didn't have to do it. But when I'm home, I did a song every day, either by myself or with those guys. And wow. With those guys, we would do it from start to, like, scratch, nothing. Mm. Write the song, make the track, record it, done. Yeah. Song every day. Wow. And there was one time where we did spent two days on a song, <laughs> and it was a boyfriend. Huh. I thought, hey, mate, we could actually like. I hear it like this is gonna be, this is gonna be good. If we just like we need another day, and uh, so we we wrote that song together. Uh, Black Bear and I wrote and MDL produced, and I produced with MDL, um, and Bear played the guitar. And I cut it. Hmm. It was me singing it. Yeah. And um, it had like really like kind of, it was for me at the time. Right. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know. This is at the same time having the meeting and stuff. I wasn't like, I wasn't writing for anyone but me. I was just working on an album or whatever. And uh, I went to Scooter's house. I made that song that week. And 
I was like, yeah, I got this other song, but this isn't for Justin. It's for my album. He heard it and he freaked out. He's mm. like, that's his first single. So, end up then I got in this cold place, anyways, where my momentum was gone. So it's like my album wasn't coming out anyway. And I thought, man, it's better like Justin sing the song than just sit on my laptop, you yeah. know. Hmm. So. Uh, Justin sang the song. He changed a bunch of words too. He had to, he was sixteen, so wow. like my words were like really like kind of like raunchy, you know. I was like <laughs> Twenty three, and you know yeah. I've like just been touring around the world. You know? Right. <laughs> so then th- the cool part of the story, which is why I paused because I've never told it this way before, was a m- the song comes out, blows up, and I'm hanging with Black Bear in Atlanta at B Major's house. And we're working, and we take a break. We're on the front porch in Atlanta. And we're thinking about boyfriend the day we made it. And the day we... almost getting chills thinking about this. And so the day, day we made boyfriend, I walked into the studio. And we work at APG. So there's like five rooms there five different studios and yeah. which i kind of like because there's a little element of competitiveness there yeah and i always feel like you know we're good at the end of the night people will like used to say hi to each other we all know each other hey would you would you make today right and you wanted to have something good you know so right. i always like kind of like that and um so I remember going down the hallway and I saw a friend of mine walk into the big studio, the Studio A. We always worked in Studio C. I liked it. MDL hated it because it sounded bad and all that stuff. But mm. I liked it because there was no furniture in the middle of the room. There's no island. Mm. So it was just like how we're sitting now. There's there's no table between us. Yeah. Right. And I always think that's important. Mm-hmm. No coffee table in the studio. Wow. No island. I hate that. I like when it's... You know, our desks are on the perimeter and our instruments are on the perimeter, mm-hmm. but between us, there's nothing. Anyway, so we're in C. I pop out of C. I don't know, I'm going to the bathroom or something. I see a friend of mine, uh, Matt Graham, walk into A. So I was like, oh, it was Matt Graham. So I walk to A. I open up A, knock on the door, and I trip on a skateboard. <laughs> and I look to my right. And it was Justin Bieber there. Wow. <laughs> okay. So we shake hands. You know, he was like, I'm a fan. I was like, I'm a fan. And I went back and see. And that's it. We just said hi. You know, we didn't, yeah. it wasn't like, he wasn't like, write a song for me, nothing. We just said hi. And we're going to see, we're, we're working, doing ideas. Guess what song we did that day? Wow. <laughs> boyfriend, boyfriend. <laughs> that's amazing and we didn't figure that out <laughs> we didn't even figure that out until we we're in atlanta months later bears and we both just like had goosebumps yeah because it was like something was wow that's amazing well, that's like you sitting in the car and taking the picture of you know the cds sitting in your passenger seat you know it just happened to be there yeah it's like the the timing and the intersection of things in your life it seems like something to pay attention to you know <sighs> apparently man <laughs> But it's fun talking about this. I forget about all those those yeah. synchronicities. <laughs> well, yeah, you start you start kind of looking back at the journey, and all of a sudden it like starts to put things into perspective. You don't even see it as like a a beautiful picture until you look back and see it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, 
You know, there, there's another uh, a story to another one of your big hits, um, Sugar by Maroon 5, um, which came out in 2014. Another giant hit. This one stayed in the Billboard Hot 100 Top 10 uh, for over 20 weeks, which, I mean, we're talking about almost half a year. kind of had a journey before it became a Maroon 5 hit. I walked in, I w- worked with another producer at the time, writer named Ammo. And uh, I went to his house. I was like, show me what you've been working on. You know, it's just if he had like track ideas to write to or whatever. Mm. He played me about like 20 things. And most of them he had sung little melodies to. Mm-hmm. Usually never any words, because um, he just he was like I think he was self described as like more of a melody person, mm. and I'm known as more of a lyric person. Though I certainly think I write great melodies too. Um, so he's playing me like idea after idea after idea after idea, and I'm like just keep showing because I remember hearing this story of Rick Rubin, mm. like he'll just listen. To everything because you never know like a lot of times the last person thing someone wants to show you is the best thing yeah. you know because they're scared you yeah. know um because it's different for them whatever so i don't just like yo keep what else what else you got it's listening just waiting for something to you know touch me mm-hmm. in the heart place not yeah. the head place like your, right right you know like your teacher said and uh you know, we're like an hour or two into this, and he's like, "Well, I just started this other thing, but I shouldn't even show you." <laughs> I'm like, "Show me." He's like, "I haven't recorded the thing yet," and he plays like the track to Sugar, and he starts singing. But he, I think he was like, "Right here, right now, don't come and put me down." You know, it was like right. gibberish words, right? And that's all you had was that chorus melody. But he sang that melody. That melody's nuts. Yeah. You know, even with no words. Right. <laughs> I was like, I remember going, that's the best. I was like, that's, I remember in my head, I was like, if I get to finish this song, this would be the biggest song yeah. of my career. Mm. It's so good. Wow. Yeah. This melody's nuts. So we had he had the chorus melody, and then uh, we didn't have verses verse melody or pre melody or bridge and we didn't have words for the hook so we called jay cash also was a great writer friend of mine and we were all writing words and like we just couldn't we wrote we wrote the melodies for the verse we liked those but we couldn't nail the lyrics man of this song kept trying to make it like clever mm. you know like a lot of my music is like clever it's kind mm-hmm. of like borderline f- like funny sometimes people laugh yeah. or or not and, um i think coming just like from an mc point of view you know it's like right. trying to make it clever like a cool punchline, you know yeah. or whatever and it just like didn't didn't work and so we left we called it we didn't get it and it was come up on christmas and that's a funny time because i always go back to detroit 
you know, for the holidays. And it was like, I always just want to, before I leave, like, finish with some, like, dope, finish some dope songs before mm-hmm. I, like, close my laptop and get on the plane. So I was like, all right, man, I'm not going to do, I had, like, two more days before I went home. I was like, all right, I'm not going to do any new sessions with anyone. I'm just going to finish some of these, like, ideas or try to finish them. So I'm sitting there with, like, wasn't called sugar yet. It was this like idea of twelve or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? right. And I'm like, what? I remember just thinking, like, what would Marvin Gaye say? Huh. Like, wow. just say it. Don't try to be clever. Yeah. You know, just say it. That's when I came with with sugar. Your sugar. Wow. Me. And uh, and I called him. I was like, I think I got it. And then I had some other like cl- clever line in there. Like maybe like tomorrow could be our one day anniversary. Or he's like, nah, that's that line sucks, man. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and so I took that. And then once we got rid of that line, it's like it opened up to me. I got wow. it. And again, I was writing this song for me, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And then it was like somehow I think because Ammo signed to Doctor Luke. I think Doctor Luke showed it to Adam Levine. Yeah. Adam Levine called me and texted me. I was on the road. He was like, bro, you got to let me have this song. I was like, you can't have it. It's for me. Hmm. And uh, then like another year passed. I was still just like shelved. And I was like, man, my music is not coming out. So I might as well. You know, I could just like the world should hear the song. Right, right. It was one less song. You know, at this time I got like hundreds of backed up songs yeah. on my laptop most of them are still there from that era yeah because they're locked up with my old label so i was like well no one can get out you know <laughs> and so i called luke i called adam and that's how it happened wow, wow. um i took a pill in ibiza was a song um that you created originally is kind of like a, a folk you know pop kind of vibe um but then when cb remixed it it became uh, a huge hit in 2015 number one on the billboard uh pop chart nominated for song of the year grammy you know huge huge kind of thing but you don't want to be high like me never really know why like me you don't ever want to step off that roller coaster and be all alone you don't want to ride the bus like this never know who to trust like this you don't want to be stuck up on that stage singing Stuck up on that stage singing Oh, I know A sad soul Sad soul Darling, oh You were obviously a very uh, creative person in, in various different ways Now you have something that, that you created But somebody else took it And kind of took it to a different place That may or may not be where you would have Taken it on your own um, Talk about as a creative person, being able to have that kind of freedom to let other people maybe come and, and tweak something that you've done and, and be okay with it, you know? Yeah, well, remember where I come from. Mixtape, hip-hop yeah. culture. Yeah. Right. What we see on that first mixtape, I did four of those myself. And all my mixtapes, I remix other people's songs. You know, I've remixed The Scientist by Coldplay. We talk about Beyonce, Halo, right. Evil Woman, ELO, um, Losing My Mind, Gorilla Zoe. I've remixed um, Rolling in the Deep by Adele. All this stuff before um, they uh, they asked to do Ibiza. Yeah. So, but, you know, like, 
and before that, all the beats I made growing up all had samples, you right, know, of right. old soul records or whatever records I thought were cool. So, you know, I never had a pro- if someone remixed my song, I never had a pro- I used to put, and we still do actually do this. I say I used because it's so many sometimes years between albums, but every album I put up the acapellas. Hmm. Just the vocal tracks without music. If anyone wants to do a remix for free, cool. wow. um, I believe in that. I believe yeah. you should be able to take art, make new art out of it. You yeah. know that you, you're. It's cool. Like to use a metaphor, what if, what if you could take someone's whole painting and make that a color on your palette? Hmm. That's wow. what a sampling is like. Yeah. yeah. So if someone wants to do that with my music. By all means, yeah, please. Yeah, it, please. it's it's interesting to me because I I think you know we're like uh, you know separated by like a decade you know in, in terms of age and I think that that your generation which sounds like a weird thing to say because <laughs> it's only ten years but like there is well, even like, I even I say that now right <laughs> there's a younger one right you know but I think there is a very different way of looking and your whole career is sort of indicative of a different way of looking at music and looking at the approach to the career than, than I would have thought of it, you know, in terms of, Hey, let's make it free. Let's let give people my stuff. Let them go do their own thing with it. I don't need to control it. Like let them go make their thing because that's how I created my thing was borrowing, you know, and, and it's such a different kind of paradigm to, I grew up in Nashville, so we both did actually. So, you know, for me, the idea of, of songwriting was kind of a very different, uh, a different concept. And I think it's really, I don't know, just listening to you talk and listening to you, you know, explain how all this stuff sort of came about. It's such a different mindset than I think I would, than the assumptions I would bring to the table. And I just find it, this isn't a question, it's just a comment. I just find it refreshing because I just think, oh, I wouldn't necessarily think that way but it's Mm. but that's true of every generation by thinking in new ways that's how you create your own art that's how you Mm. put your own stamp on you know on on the history of music sure it's it's cool yeah and you also have to think about the the difference in the way this music is being created Mm -hmm. Mm. you know my generation was the first one where we could get these programs legally or illegally on our computers right and you get a microphone from guitar center for 200 bucks and you can make music yeah Yeah. you know you'd have to before you spent all this money to go in these huge rooms and we didn't even want to use like that stuff in those studios wouldn't even help us make our music you know so yeah, it's like a democratization of, uh, to- of production. That, that's exactly yeah. the word. You know, it got democratized from every level. And there's a lot more artists, you know, than ever before. There's yeah. a lot more sort of, I would say, crappy music, you know. <laughs> but you got a guy like me, like, you know, 30 years, if I was born 20, 30 years earlier, I would never have been able to make music because hmm. I could, we are talking about I couldn't sing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No labels were like sign me and develop me. Yeah. It, it, we're also seeing a, a similar thing happen with sort of the tearing down of genres. You know, I feel like the lines that are 
clearly delineating this is pop, this is hip hop, this is rap, this is, you know, folk, whatever. That stuff's getting blurred in a way, which is really cool to see too. I remember um, hearing Beck for the first time and thinking that that was just mind blowing because Beck had sort of come from like kind of a folk pop place as well. And then there are these songs like Where It's At, Sex Laws, and, and all that crazy stuff. But at, at his core, he was kind of this, you know, waifish little guy with an acoustic playing these songs. Mm. Um, and, and I think there's something positive about the the tearing down of genre lines. I mean, are, do you have any thoughts on that? I agree, man. You know, genre is a way, is a word to categorize. If you think mm. of music as a as a big apple pie... Genre is a you know just way to like cut up and separate up you know, but it's not really useful in any way. It just it just makes it easier for people to talk about stuff. I don't know. Every I have to deal with this every day in my personal life. I get into just anywhere conversation. A lot of times in cabs or something. We say, "What do you do?" I'm an artist. I make music. What kind? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you My know? kind. Yeah, hits. Fuck. You just tell them that hits. Hits. <laughs> no. It's like, what the fuck do I say? You know? um, this, by the way, um, I met Jake Owen, who's a country artist. Mm-hmm. Right. Contemporary country artist. Right. And... Uh, we became buddies, and he said, come on the road with me for like a weekend. So I ran and rode his bus right. for like three, four days. And he's got this OG tour manager named Fowler. Right. And Fowler was tour manager for Alabama. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and so they would do the show, and then after the show, they would take me to country school. Right. And I remember they, Fowler telling me this story mm. of Merle Haggard's life. Right. And then he said, okay, now, now that you know that, listen to Mama Try. Right. Mm. And he played me Mama Try. And I remember this screaming and hooting right. and hollering because I loved it so right. much. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it reminded me of the hip hop I listened to growing up. Right. Because yeah. it was the truth. Yeah. So authenticity yeah. to that music where, like, this isn't a guy singing a fucking standard. Right. This is like, he wrote this song about his life. Yeah. Right period right you know and it's not a lie you could tell it's not a lie right yeah and if it ever came out was a lie that would be a big deal right yeah (laughs) Yeah. i'm not not sure i would like that guy anymore right right Right. yeah um and so it was hearing songs like that and hearing a lot of hank jr stuff and hank senior but a lot of hank jr stuff yeah of like um blues man songs like that where he's like, you know, I got cuffed on dirt roads. <laughs> I got sued over no shows. Because he was famous, you know. For, Country Boy Can Survive. Well, he was drinking. Yeah. yeah, like drinking himself into a stupor yep, right. and couldn't make it to the stage. Yep. Right, I got right. cuffed on dirt roads. I got sued over no shows. Love right. it. You know? Yeah. That's, that's Jake showed me all that stuff. And I wrote a Biza. <laughs> wow. After that. Wow. And I remember I wrote a Biza and I just had a voice note that I sent it to Jake. Well, I'm like, man, this is a song I wrote. Man. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, since this is uh, an audio-only podcast, our listeners will not know that you brought two essential items today, which is a very large jug of water, <laughs> because staying hydrated <laughs> is important, and your guitar. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
Would you mind playing that one yeah. for us? Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> Took a pill in Ibiza To show Avicii I was cool And when I finally got sober Felt ten years older Oh fuck it, it was something to do I'm living out in L.A. I drive a sports car just to prove I'm a real big baller Cause I made a million dollars And I spend it on girls and shoes You don't wanna be high like me Never really knowing why you like me. You don't never wanna step off that roller coaster and be all alone. You don't wanna ride a bus like this. Never knowing who to trust like this. You don't wanna be stuck up on that stage singing. Stuck up on this stage singing. Oh, I know a sad song. Sad souls, a darling old I know. A sad souls, sad souls. I'm just a singer who already blew a shot. I get along with old timers. My name's a reminder of a pop song people forgot. Yeah, I can't keep a girl, no. Because as soon as the sun comes up I cut them all loose and work's my excuse The truth is I can't open up Now you don't wanna be high like me Never really knowing why you like me You don't never wanna step off that roller coaster And be all alone And you don't wanna ride a bus like this Never knowing who to trust like you don't want to be stuck up on that stage singing Stuck up on this stage singing Oh, I know Sad songs Sad songs Darling, no oh, I know Sad songs Sad songs I took a plane to my hometown I brought my pride and my guitar Well, my friends are all gone But there's manicured lawns And the people still think I'm a star I walked around downtown I met some fans on Lafayette They said, tell us how to make it We're getting real impatient I looked them in the eyes and said You don't want to be high like me Never really knowing why like me You don't never want to step off that roller coaster And be all alone And you don't want to ride the bus like this Never knowing who to trust like this 
You don't wanna be stuck up on that stage singing Stuck up on this stage singing Oh, I know Sad songs Sad songs Amazing. Wow. Well, I want to ask you about, um, in 2017, you put out your first book of poetry, um, Teardrops and Balloons. And then earlier this year, you actually did a, a spoken word album called I Was Born in Detroit on a Very, 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 Very Cold Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so Make sure you got them all in there. That's seven, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I got it. Nailed it. That fascinates me because you talked about, you know, starting out making music, you're writing beats. And you didn't play an instrument at all. And then you got into playing instruments. And then you talked about your melodies. And, you know, at the core of all this are your words. And songwriting, you know, today is different than maybe it might have been 30 years ago, where it it used to be you had a guy that that either wrote lyrics and melody, or you had a team of pe- t- team of two people, and one kind of did one, and, and one did the other. You know, now you've got a world where you've got like a top line person, you know, uh, a a words person, a, a beats person. You know, yeah. You obviously are uh, a lot of those people, <laughs> kind of in one. You're not just a beats guy. You can write beats, but clearly words are very important to you. Or you wouldn't be writing poetry and making spoken word records. Um, so talk about the for you and your own artistic expression apart from music just what words mean to you and and how words kind of function within your identity as an artist words are just like paint you know you can use them to you can just like put black paint on a white canvas and that could be it. Or you can use them to make something really beautiful. Hmm. I remember listening to this poet named Philip Levine. He's got a poem. He's from Detroit. And he was poet laureate. He died a few years ago. And uh, he's got a poem called What Work Is. Hmm. YouTube is sometimes, you know, two-minute poem. And I remember listening to it with my mom. Because I, I love Philip Levine, bro. He's, he's sick. And it's him reading. He's got beautiful voice and he's reading this poem what work is and we both start crying Hmm. and i'm like how how mysterious is it that he could take these words i know all the words in that poem you know all the words in that poem my mom knows all the words in that poem and he puts them in a certain order Hmm. and we're in tears yeah wow that's how I think of word. You know, it's like you can play around and you can use them or something uses you to create something beautiful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, uh, in the last couple of years, you, you mentioned Black Bear before and the and the great working relationship and friendship you guys have. Well, you guys kind of made it official. You you came together and formed mansions in the yeah. last couple of years. And, uh, <laughs> it's not like we got married. It's like using that marriage metaphor all, all podcast. <laughs> you, you, you made him an honest man. And, uh, 
you know, there are certain kind of connective threads through a lot of these interviews, and we'll talk about a lot of the same people, a lot of the same influences, but I think we have finally come upon something that's completely, uh, we've never talked about before, and we'll probably never talk about again, and that's a feature by Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that out. I don't even think there one. is a question. I mean, what? Yeah, we had this uh, We had this song, uh, Black Bear and I, we have a group called Mansions. Yeah. You know, if you want to hear our music, you have to look up Mansions. It's with not a Z. Either, yeah, with a Z. And it's not under either of our names. And uh, we had this tune called Dennis Rodman. And I just thought, man, like, Mansions is just like, the whole ethos of Mansions is like, everything we do is very, um, it's sort of like, showing off ridiculous like for attention but like obviously for attention right. <laughs> a lot of times we're like posturing for attention right. but it's like just so i thought you know it'd be so cool if that song was like Den mansions dennis rodman featuring dennis rodman <laughs> you know like the titles dennis rodman and that's featuring right. dennis, you know and that's like quintessentially mansions yeah we do. <laughs> So we like our manager like had a relation. Anyways, I end up in the studio. He lives in Orange County. I end up in the studio with him, and we basically just want him to like tell a, tell crazy stories and like give us like wild sound right. bites and like ad libs, you know, on the track. <laughs> and so like we go in the studio, just like set up, like tallest microphone stand I've ever seen, <laughs> and. <laughs> We was here record and I and I just had the beat playing with no words and I would I could talk to him in his headphones. I'd be like, Tell me the story of the night you married Carmen Electra or whatever <laughs> and he would just fucking go, man. <laughs> He'd go for like thirty minutes, he'd say these wild stories. He'd be like, I'm the rebound king, Dennis Rodman, baby. He was just like so it was just amazing. I have this version. Of uh, that song, it's not out. Just like oh, I listened to a bear the other day. It's called Dennis Mansions. Dennis Rodman featuring Dennis Rodman parentheses Dennis Rodman Unleashed. <laughs> and it's just eight. Is no. It's just the oh, track and him going nuts. It's eight minutes long. That's amazing. You know? Wow, <laughs> that's that's pretty incredible. I I would love to hear the outtakes. <laughs> the whole thing is outtakes. Love, yeah. the, of the unleashed versions, the Man. whole thing is outtakes, and it's just like, wow. he's like, he's like, they want, you know, they traded me for some more fucking white boy, <laughs> and I went to San Antonio and dyed my hair green. You know? <laughs> and everyone thought I was the devil. <laughs> he's going nuts. God, it's amazing. Um, and well, so here we are now in 2018. And you've got as much going on as ever. Um, you've got a new book of poetry, um, a new album coming. The first single is Song About You. Um, I know this is a, a very personal album. Um, talk to us about the Have album. Have you heard it? I've heard the single. Okay. That's all we've, that I've had a chance to Well, it's not before. out. I just didn't know if anyone no. from my team sent it to you. No. Um, we tried to go on that closely uh, guarded. We tried to go secret. on that wonky website and download it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a virus. They sent you the Z -share <laughs> link. My computer just shut down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I can't get out of this chat room now. Um. <laughs>
about the new album, what we can expect from it, and, and kind of why you felt like now was the time to step back into that primary artist role. I never felt like I really stepped out of it. I mean, obviously, you know, you take, you step back to create it, yeah. and everyone else thinks like you retired or something, you know? Right. I'll, <laughs> like three months after like a visa came out and like i'd people would be like uh do you still do music (laughs) when are you gonna make a comeback i'm like where is the line here i got like a number one song like two months ago (laughs) jesus christ you only have three weeks till we need your next number one (laughs) so you know where you been hiding mike i do albums like kind of an old-fashioned way which is i write songs for usually over a year mm-hmm. and I'll have a big pile of 50 sometimes 75 songs and um, then you know I'll we'll pick the best ones and and finish them and produce them and, and then you know the best like 2015 and then like I erase those yeah and then I like take it down like 10 yeah and um, I spend a lot of time. Um, as my career has has progressed, the more time I spend on transitions. Hmm. So this is not like ten songs that I just like put in a playlist and put. In. No, it's like I spend month like the the songs, like you know, like how Sergeant Pepper is the first two mm. tracks. One only Billy Sheer. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, you know, songs that like connect like that, yeah. you know, and it's, it's been months on that, getting the right order and mm. the musical transitions. And, um, so yeah, it takes, you know, it takes years. Yeah. It yeah. you know, took two, two, two and a half years to finish this. And yeah, you know, like I'll, I would go around and the people have seen me go, so you still do music? I'm like, <laughs> yes, man. It's like, oh, I'm working so hard. Yeah. Uh, like, no, I got a job at Best Buy now. I'm not doing music anymore. You know, so, and I like to fin. I finished the whole darn thing. I worked with on this album. I worked with uh, Ricky Reed, who executive produced it. And I like finished the whole darn thing before I let anyone hear it. I mean, if you help them work on it, you hear it, and mm-hmm. I listen to feedback. And obviously, with Ricky, we're arguing and going back and forth yeah but i finished that whole darn thing and i walk to the record label and say here's the album Hmm. done a nice spot to be in yeah i don't (laughs) i don't like play like if someone's getting paid you know they get paid the more i sell so as even though no matter how great of a person you are like categorizing your feedback is a little tinged uh-huh. towards what you think is going to sell the most. Right. Which, you know, I'm not against my record selling, but it's not, that's not my barometer of when I'm creating it. Is, yeah. is it good? Right. You yeah. know, yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. So those people can't, aren't really allowed to hear it until hmm. it's done. Wow. wow. I, I just, you know, if I play it for them before I'm going to hear it, they're going to tell me something, it's going to get in my head. And right, I'm, right. Done. Here it is. Yeah, I like that. Well, Mike, uh, we certainly look forward to the new album, and we appreciate you taking some time to uh, come by today. This has been really uh, illuminating, very uh, interesting conversation, and uh, we just uh, thank you for being here. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. 
Well, we heard a little clip of the most recent single, Song About You, a, a few minutes ago, and we thought it'd be cool uh, if if it's uh, good with you, you could uh, play us out with another one. This is a new one. It's not out yet, but it will be. Perfume on my shirt Puts me in the past Too tough to be without her But too afraid to ask Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Too young to settle down Too old to be in bars It's hard to take it easy It's easy to be hard Here I am again Stuck in the middle 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 Forgive me, I am building my ship as it sails How do I become who I want to be while still remaining myself? People love the old me I don't know where he's gone Too tired to be famous Too vain to be unknown Here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again Stuck in the middle. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Again, you can find us by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. While Songcraft is available to our listeners at no charge, we ask friends like you to consider becoming a Songcraft patron at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. There you can pledge as little as $2 per month to help Songcraft continue its mission of bringing you great interviews with great songwriters.
Plus, you'll have the opportunity to access bonus content and get the chance to enjoy unique rewards and experiences as a member. We look forward to getting together again with you for the next episode of Songcraft Spotlight on Songwriters.